For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Good evening, Blue Jays fans, and welcome to another wonderful week here on Jaybird Watching. I know we had a little bit of a week off, but I am once again Craig Borden here as your host with Brendan Panikar. Brendan, welcome back to the Great White North. Ah, <laughs> uh, man, I, uh, I wish I was still in Los Angeles, Craig. It was beautiful down there. I was there for a work conference, but uh, it's good to be back. It, I really missed uh, recording last week, and uh, it sucked we weren't able to. Just too many unpredictable and conflicting schedules, but... We're back. We're ready. We're ready to dive into the offseason, my friend. Yeah, and I think we got one little perk out of that whole thing because we got to survey the podcast verse of how everybody was doing the same exact thing. And we got a fun little uh, way of doing things here on the show tonight because we're going to attack this, everybody. Like, what set the Blue Jays' Twitterverse on fire in each month of the baseball season? And, Brendan, this is a pretty fun way I think we can attack the first part of season reviews here in the mid-playoffs for Major League Baseball. Absolutely. I think it's a great way to do things. And you know what? A lot of the stuff, uh, I have no idea, just putting that out there for the listeners, what you're going to bring up as the uh, the talking points or what's at Twitter a buzz for each month. So I'm excited to learn. And then I'll fill you in on who the best performers were in each month to kind of put a bow on each month. And then as we go along through the off season, we'll go much more in depth on individual players and all that fun stuff. So we got you covered in your content for the off season is what we're trying to say. Yeah, along with some of the minor league reviews and how these prospects are moving along, Brendan, it's going to be a fun way to get things going here, I think. And obviously we're going to sprinkle some weirdness in, too. Like our last offseason we had our movie uh, countdown, and we'll figure out some maybe some Blue Jays countdowns that we can use as reoccurring episodes and repeats for a change instead of being our week-to-week normal shenanigans. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you got it, man. I already know one for right around Christmas time. Jay's journal every single Christmas Eve or even the day before Christmas Eve, so the 23rd of December, I would write my uh, Christmas wish list on what I wanted to see under the tree, so we may be able to run with that at the yeah. time. It'll Your be 10 all, days it'll of be Christmas kind of like countdown deal. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> what are we going to get for, for Hanukkah if we're going to count down for each night of Hanukkah or for Christmas Eve or Christmas Day, what you want to see under the tree. There you go. So, anyways, Brendan, we're going to have to start off with a month that honestly had me wondering what the hell this season really was going to turn into. The month of April turned into, well, even in the beginning of the season, as we had those four random games in March this year, my friend. 14 and 15 through, though, at that time. Who in hell would have thought this team got off to just below 500 in the first month of the season, Brendan? It's just slightly insane where some of these highlights end up taking this team to being on the cusp like that. 
it was fun, man. I think there was a lot of good pitching performances in the months of April and that first series in March. And Blue Jays fans, you better get used to that because, again, to start the season, there'll be four games in March against the Boston Red Sox before Cincinnati comes to town. So, you know what? I think it was a good mix of pitching. The offense was quiet, as we know, uh, through a lot of those series, but the pitching kept them afloat. And I think, much like you, and we thought, you know what? Maybe this season won't be so bad, especially when the kids get up here to get their feet wet. Who knows what they could be? Maybe they could contend for 500 or a little bit below 500. Ultimately, yeah. didn't end up that way, but still. Pretty much dead even in the runs scored versus runs allowed throughout that time frame and that record, which was the big talk of the beginning of the season, Brendan, the fact that we actually looked like we had a pitching staff. First thing to set the Twitterverse on fire. Um, Aaron Sanchez returns. Marcus Stroman is lights out. And Matt Shoemaker lights out Cy Young-worthy kind of start. That tandem right there, Brendan, was a hell of a way to get this season going. It was fantastic, and you know what? It really, really sucked that Matt Shoemaker season ended when it did with that fluke torn ACL in Oakland because who knows what kind of season Matt Shoemaker could have ended up, ended up having. He could have been a trade chip. I know you, me, and Adam Corsair at the beginning of the season, right before opening day, we said, would it surprise you if Matt Shoemaker would be the Blue Jays' best or second-best pitcher behind Aaron Sanchez and that one – sorry, behind Marcus Stroman? And that 100% came to fruition. It happened. And I really think, Craig, the wind was taken out of the Blue Jays' sails when that shoemaker tore his ACL. It seemed to all fall downhill after that, which is unfortunate. But those three leading the rotation at the top, it was a ton of fun to watch. And uh, it's a shame we didn't get to see what ended up happening with Matt Shoemaker, but hopefully we will again next year. Yeah, and for a guy that got off to such a ridiculous start for him, the fact that he did go down, you watched the – basically the experience level for those couple young pitchers that were in the rotation just bottom basement out and then the rest of the team also lost a leader in the dugout for a very young team regardless of the fact that we had the Freddie Galvises and everything sprinkled into this lineup Matt Shoemaker was the ah, the swagger I think coming out of the gate for the Blue Jays in the pitching rotation and then I think the rest of the offense also took suit on that it's amazing what having a veteran presence with somebody that was doing that well at the same time can do to a clubhouse. And watching Matt Shoemaker at the beginning of this season was a pleasure. But the fact that along with Matt Shoemaker, you had the you know the return of Strochez. What looked like it was going to be the resurgence of the 2015-2016 tandem, you know, that we actually had an anchored pitching rotation around those two. Obviously, the reality showed, and then we had ended up training, trading one of the other pieces of that. Um, we're, how excited were you to see Aaron Sanchez and Stroman performing at the level they were at the beginning of the season? I had a feeling Stroman was going to have himself a good season. Uh, I know that at the time of the trade uh, of Marcus Stroman, people were a little underwhelmed considering how well he performed. I thought they'd get a little more, but we'll get into that as the offseason goes along anyway in our previous can, or our wrap-up continues. But, uh, it was great, and even Aaron Sanchez got himself off to a pretty decent start. He wasn't going very deep in ball games because the control continued to plague him and be an issue, uh, as did finger issues yet again. But it was just nice to know that every fifth day, for the most part, you had those two going out there, being able to make their start and lead that rotation. And it's ultimately a huge reason why they were 14 and 15 through those four games in March and the rest of April. 
They set themselves up nicely to turn it over to the bullpen, which is really good in the month of April, and it led to some wins over some quality teams, too. They played quality teams quite well in the month of April, save for that Cleveland series in Cleveland, which was unfortunate. I was there for one of those games. <laughs> but uh, it, it was great, and I definitely was getting flashbacks to 2015 and 2016 uh, with those two going out there every day, but... Uh, it's, uh, all good things came to an end as <laughs> April run down. Yeah, as for, unfortunate as that is, but we did get a nice little surprise out of the beginning of the season, too, in Freddie Galvis completely running away with the shortstop position to a tune that Toronto Blue Jays fans did not even come close to expecting, Brendan. He, not only was he hitting, he was playing insanely good defense, including a ridiculous catch in Oakland where he was running backwards and bare hands a ball. Who does that? I... <laughs> Freddie Galvis does that, Craig. <laughs> it was uh, that was such a treat to watch. I actually, I may stand corrected. I believe that was the game where Shoemaker tore his ACL and got injured. So there was that really big highlight, and then an extreme low light very shortly after that. But I have Freddie Galvis's numbers for the month of April up here. He hit five home runs, twelve RBI, two stolen bases. He hit three thirteen, an OBP of three thirty three and a weighted runs created plus a 121. He by far exceeded my expectations to start the year, and he was a constant professional while he was here. I know when the Blue Jays signed him, he talked to Charlie Montoyo, and they said to him, hey, your Ironman streak is probably going to end. We got some kids here that need playing time. And he still signed here, and he went out and performed, and it became impossible to take him out of the lineup, and it showed in the month of April. Yeah, and the month of April was just completely stellar for him and I always I've been wondering at how his season might have went if he didn't end up having that hamstring injury that caused him some time on the injured list and it completely derailed him at the plate I think for the rest of the season because he was just so on fire Brendan like you said 313 through the month of April that's insane production from a guy that we more or less said hey by the way we can give you this if you want to come here sure why not <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I think if he didn't uh, have that hamstring injury, which I agree, it did seem to derail him, they would have been able to get something from him at the trade deadline. I know they ended up trying to trade Freddie Galvis, and it just ended up didn't end up working, which is why they ended up releasing him free to sign with a, with a team. But it ended up being a waiver claim by the Cincinnati Reds. At least he got to play some meaningful baseball. But if Freddie Galvis continued that, that just would have been another chip to add a piece to this minor league system. But you know what? I'm happy for him. I'm happy he got to play in Cincinnati and at least have a chance uh, to impact a team that was kind of still hanging around a playoff race. It was good to see him end up there. Yeah. So we're going to talk about his soon, soonly acquired counterpart after Loris Gurriel Jr. was sent down. Eric Sogard joins the pre the early season party here, and oh my God, did he steal this team? There was people on Twitter literally saying this is Eric Sogard's team. <laughs> and how good he was throughout the beginning of this. And he, he was torching the ball in Buffalo, and then they just had to bring him up. There was nothing else you could do. Loris Gurriel Jr. wasn't quite performing, other than a highlight I do have here on the list that we're going to talk about for the month of April for him. But how <laughs> important was Eric Sogard to the, this early success that the Toronto Blue Jays had? It was huge. You know, I just went through Freddie Galvis's numbers. Eric Sogard was better. He hit three home runs, so a little bit less power and a few less RBI. But when you look at the more in-depth statistics, he walked the exact same rate that he struck out. That's pretty hard to do. He had a 
10.2% base on ball percentage and 102 strikeout percentage. He matched it. That's insane. We hadn't seen that since Jose Bautista did that in his glory years with the Blue Jays. And he hit 395 with an OBP of 458. That's Joey Votto numbers when it gets the OBP numbers. Oh, he was insane. Massive, massive surprise. Nobody thought that. He's a minor league signing that came here on a minor league deal, and he ended up being traded to get some get them some pieces to add to the system. It couldn't have worked out better to have Eric Sogard here as the Toronto Blue Jay. Not to mention how fun was he to watch. That leadoff game, their leadoff home runs, everything that he was doing, just very, very good. Not to mention a giant presence in that dugout with all his youngsters. Um, as I'd mentioned prior to that whole thing with Sogard, Loris Gurriel Jr. had one of probably the best plays of the whole season, and honestly, I have been shocked that nobody has been talking about this. He steals home in Fenway Park. That was insane. The fact that they had no idea he was even going, and boom, Gurriel's at home. Great yeah. baseball instincts. Was that, remind me, was that the first game of that series, our home opener? I think it was. When I think the it was Blue the spoil Jays. to the Red Sox home opener. Yeah, that's right. The game that the Blue Jays just went in there and <sighs> stole from the Boston Red Sox. That was probably Matt Shoemaker's, I would say, because it was just unworldly, probably what would be called his worst start of his five starts as a Toronto Blue Jays. But they stole that in large part because of that play by Lourdes Gurriel Jr. It was insane. It, uh, it shocked the Fenway Park crowd. It shocked baseball. And as you're right, as we're going through our recap of the season, that set Twitter on fire. And the fact that not only does it set Twitter on fire, but that set the baseball world on fire. That was one of the first stolen bases of home, I think. There's only been a couple, in the, a handful in the last five or six years. Um, K, KP, Kevin Pillar, a few years ago was the most recent Blue Jay to do it. But uh, but it's just some, it's a play that is dead in baseball, Brendan. And to see Loris Gurriel Jr., a young Blue Jay, kind of almost personify where this team is going was very cool to see early in the season. Well, I think that kind of speaks to what the Blue Jays were trying to do at the beginning of the season with, uh, so I would say, a lot of patchwork uh, on the offensive side of things. And they are struggling to score runs at the beginning of the season. Uh, it grew pretty tired on plants quickly, especially me, all the bunting that Charlie Montoya was doing. <laughs> But you know, well, when Gurriel can steal home, you don't need to bunt. <laughs> exactly. But that's just the kind of baseball they had to play to get some wins in the month of April when nobody outside of Freddie Galvis, Eric Sogard, and Justin Smoke were actually hitting. And even Smoke was dealing with his own injury uh, during the month of April. So you didn't have a lot of Justin Smoke in that lineup every day. So it, uh, it kind of put a bow uh, on how the month of April went. A lot of small ball, something that we really haven't seen from this team in the last five to ten years, I would go as far back as ten years because this team used to be get on base, hit home runs, and bludgeon teams to death. That was uh, that was not a thing this year until later in the season when the kids got up here. But uh, it was fun, man. That uh, that feel of home was definitely a highlight that I had even forgotten. So I'm glad you brought it up. <laughs> hey, I'm, that's what I'm here for. It's my show, right? <laughs> that's right. You're the host this week. You can do what you want. <laughs> it's my week. I'll bring up whatever I feel like. <laughs> so before we get into a couple obvious things for the month, I want to point out one that's another one that's going to miss a lot of people's radars. Everybody's going to forget the fact that Tom Pannone might have had one of the best innings pitched out of any Toronto Blue Jays this season, and that's because he had nine pitches and three strikeouts done against the Tampa Bay Rays. Immaculate, immaculate inning. 
<laughs> immaculate inning. I think I tuned in for the last out of that immaculate inning. Uh, I don't know where I was that weekend, but anyways, I got back and I saw the very tail end of that. And you know what? For a season where Thomas Pannon did a lot of flip flopping between starting and in the bullpen, where he looked quite good out of the bullpen, uh, I think he kind of solidified himself a role for 2020 potentially. I think you can rule out Thomas Pannon as a starter for next year. There's a bunch of other guys that we'll get into as we continue our off-season recaps uh, that have surpassed Thomas Pannone in the rotation aspect of things. So I think you can safely say that Thomas Pannone could have himself a spot as a lefty in the bullpen for 2020, especially considering Tim Mesa will be out for quite a while. He'll be out of all next year. So Pannone was really good as a bullpen piece. He could eat innings. He could spot start. I'm okay with him being a spot starter. But we saw with that immaculate inning, he can be a very effective piece out of the bullpen. Speaking of bullpen, thank you, Segway. <laughs> <laughs> you I host the show too. I know how to set a Segway. <laughs> Tee it up. So, <laughs> 10 miles, Giles. <laughs> Sets a Blue Jays record for 26 consecutive saves. I can't find the digits on how many he actually had in his full-on entirety of his consecutive save streak and, and save opportunities, Brendan. Because we know last year he had some weird ERA numbers when it wasn't a save opportunity. But Ken Giles, insanely productive for the Blue Jays, especially hot out of the gate, picks up his 100th save of his career and just keeps on mowing him down, man. Yeah, Ken Giles was probably the biggest storyline of the season for me, at least on the pitching side of things. Um, it, it, it may end up being a blessing in disguise that Ken Giles wasn't traded at the trade deadline. I think that's going to be a massive, massive talking point throughout this entire offseason among Blue Jays' Twitter and fans and, and beat writers. It's what the hell did they do with Ken Giles? Do you extend him? Do you keep him around? I'm in the camp that Ken Giles probably should be traded because relievers are extremely volatile, and I don't think there's a bigger case to be made with the volatility of relievers than Ken Giles because you go back and look at his his fangrass pays, his stat cast, whatnot. Every single alternate year, kind of like with Marcus Stroman, he has a dominant year. Then he goes out there and is not the same. He can't locate his slider, which leads his fastball to get hit all the time. So this was a really damn good Ken Giles season, and he was a treat to watch. And the month of April was simply ridiculous for him. Seven saves, 2.03 ERA, and a almost 14K per nine. Just crazy. Insanely good stuff, but now we're going to get to the thing I know that you've been knowing is eventually coming, the fact that we were both at Vladdy debut night to end the month of April, basically. A night of just pure expectations, and it ended up being one of the best walk-offs I, I've even... I've, only one I've ever witnessed, Brendan, but the one, one of the better ones I've watched, period. <laughs> <laughs> That's, uh, I think, a massive talking point across all of Twitter, but all of baseball, the entire industry, was when will Vlad Jr. make his debut with the Bigs? Because they held him down all of last season. I think the injury to him prevented that, but for service time reasons, he was kept down, and he finally came up for that night. There is no way that you were going to miss that. You are going to come up to Toronto and stay in the glass cube, the spare bedroom, uh, for that for that night. Uh, it was it was crazy. That was probably the most electric the Rogers Center was all year, uh, besides maybe Canada Day and home opener uh, against the Detroit Tigers. And it was probably my highlight of the season. Watching his debut, he almost walked it off. He almost hit a home run in his first game. It just hit off the wall, just a little bit short. 
but that ultimately teed up Brandon Drury's walk-off shot in that game. It was uh, it was fun. It's probably my highlight, but it also, Craig, really signified probably one of the highest points of the year, where they just came off a sweep at the Oakland Athletics, and then they come to Toronto a weekend later, and they sweep them again. They did not lose to Oakland this year, and that series and that game by Vlad Jr. was a large reason for that. So not the fact that he doesn't, you know, that was his first game in the majors, but the fact that I think what really set the world on fire was the fact that his first major league hit was actually the catalyst for a Toronto Blue Jays victory that we got to see unfold with the with the uh, Brand Drury home run. So just how do you, you can't write it. <laughs> and, the no. fact, and then the fact that was one of the weirdest swings I've seen anybody take when they shorten up like that. Only swings I've seen other than that is like a Tony Gwynn the slap at the other direction, or what Boba Shett does differently on a you know two strike count. How do you write anything better than that? That he gets his first major league hit, you know, to eventually to get this team going in that situation. You know, baseball is very poetic, as everybody knows, and that was uh, the ultimate sign that baseball is truly poetic and fun uh, to watch. And there's always storylines every single game and. Everything just always seems to work out. It was just kind of, yes, he's here. He's contributing already. This kid is going to be extremely special. Um, And that was the start of it. I know the season had a lot of ups and downs in the end for Vlad Jr., some struggles, some really hot months, and no home runs to end the season, I believe, uh, since late August against the Dodgers. But still, uh, Vlad Jr. has proven and did prove that even if he's not hitting home runs like he didn't, in that season opener, he will still be an electric contributor at the plate, and it was uh, it was it, it's going to be a sign of things to come for Blue Jays fans in 2020 and beyond. There it is. Now, give me your Vlad Senior uh, fist bump wrap of the month of April for me, my friend. Who was the best guys? The best guy there, man. It was Eric Sogard. He led the team in WAR with almost a full win in only 11 games. He scored 0.9. And that weighted runs created plus the 204 is an insane number. And it, it's crazy because we were all like, okay, Eric Sogart, you're here, you're hot. It'll probably cool off. It didn't. He <laughs> ended up getting created to the Tampa Bay Ray. And then on the pitching side of things, Craig, it was Marcus Stroman. Marcus Stroman, 1.4 war in six starts, 37 innings uh, in the month of April. One and three record, but records, they, they don't really tell you a whole lot. They, they weren't scoring a lot of runs for Stroman, but he was uh, damn impressive in the month of April. Yeah, nerd and stroke power to kick the season off, Brendan. Good stuff. So we're going to dive into the month of May where we were a extremely, I'm not even going to say mediocre, just flamboyantly awful <laughs> at <laughs> 7 and 21. And I'm going to kick it off with something equally comical, just like that record, the fact that Luke Maley pitches and actually strikes out Major League Baseball hitters. <laughs> How does that not sweat or get the Twitterverse talking? I know that was uh, that was a lot of fun. I believe it was against the Texas Rangers. He went out there and pitched quite well uh, in that final game of the series against Texas. And you know what? Everybody was like, "Hey, every opportunity that you get here on out and pull out games, make sure Luke Mayley pitches." <laughs> <laughs> it uh, it was a highlight in a very low month of the season for the Toronto Blue Jays. There wasn't a whole lot to talk about uh, beyond Vlad Jr. Uh, in that month of May. It wasn't a whole lot of fun watching the Blue Jays. Then I'll be completely honest. Uh, there was some good, there was a lot of bad, but I just think that uh, epitomizes what the season was about. There will be some hot stretches where they will look like they can beat anybody, and then there will be stretches where they look like they can't beat anybody. And that was really the month of May. 
Yeah, and Luke Maley's uh, strikeout pretty much sums up the month. But we did have some good things. I did some good digging here. So other than the fact that Stroman continues to dominate through the month of May, really solidifying him as an eventual trade chip, the month of May I think was critical because more or less those seven victories, I think two or three of those were completely contributed to Marcus Stroman. That's right. He got uh, he got two in the uh, he was credited with two wins in the month of May. So continuing to, go, to ride the Stro Show is officially back in Toronto at that point, only for a little while longer, unfortunately. But we got some plenty of good things going on after that. So Stroman continues. Vladdy riding the wave of his debut. Hits his first major league home run in San Francisco and has a hell of a weekend, including his second home run. <laughs> That's how, right. That's, how critical was that? Uh, it's huge. That really kicked off uh, the end of uh, the end of April and heading into May. May was a really good season for Vlad, or a very good month for Vlad. He hit six home runs, twelve RBI. He hit 253, but he still got on base at a decent clip. Uh, but uh, it was it was really the start of uh, what Blue Jays fans can dream on of, of a, a, an elite and superstar level talent uh, at the plate, and that showed when he had a very very good month of uh, of May. And that same week, he even solidified his first major league award as the major league player of the week. So excellent stuff, deservedly um, so. <laughs> and then continuing the string of youngsters, Kevin Biggio makes his debut in May for the Toronto Blue Jays in the midst of all the weirdness that was going on that was the void around the Blue Jays' right field, left field situation. And I guess you could say to the better part, due to the flexibility of Eric Sogard, why not bring up the red-hot Kevin Biggio after he was just destroying the ball in AAA with the Buffalo Bisons. And it was very exciting to see how his dynamic at the plate, Brendan, really fit into how this club was building. Well, I think the thing with Kevin Biggio, which is extremely exciting and something to look for in 2020, is how much of an eye this guy has at the plate, Craig. Kevin Biggio, despite spiking, striking out 31.6% of the time, very small sample size. He only got 19 plate appearances in the month of May. But as the season went along, we saw the start of an incredible eye at the plate. And that's something that not a whole lot of young hitters have. Not a whole lot of young hitters can come up and have such good pitch recognition and be able to get themselves on base. And you know what? I believe, I forget who it was at the end of the year. I was reading an article. They said at the end of the season that they would not be surprised if as soon as next season that the leader in the clubhouse will be Kevin Biggio. And I think we saw that. He's so well-respected amongst everybody, veterans, young kids by the front office, the coaching staff, all that stuff. Kevin Biggio truly solidified himself as that third piece that we can really build around uh, behind Vlad and Bo. And it's uh, it's fun to watch Kevin Biggio up there every day. And then him hitting his first Major League home run in front of his family and everything in front of the Toronto fans. Epic stuff. And that was a monster shot. If this were still in the days of the hard rock, it just misses it. <laughs> yeah, Kevin Biggio hit a, quite a few moonshots uh, whenever he left the yard. Uh, for the Blue Jays this season. He uh, such a pretty swing. You know what? From the left side of the plate, just a nice, long stride. When he makes contact, home runs look effortless. I'll be honest, I don't think I've seen a swing that looks that effortless, but sends the ball so far since when Colby Rasmus 
make contact. <laughs> he wasn't striking out. Colby As Rapp I say, the biggest difference is that somebody actually knows how to use the bat when he's not swinging for home runs, unlike Colby Rasmus. Exactly. Rasmus. And I'm not Captain just saying that because he had a goat beard. That's right, yeah. Kevin <laughs> Pease, you know, can still get on base when he's not swinging for the fences. He can walk, he can hit singles and doubles. But, yeah, his swing is so pretty. Uh, and it's going to play, especially with that eye play. Speaking of freaking pretty, man. Who could have had a better comeback than Loris Gurriel Jr. did near the end of the month of May? That it was, was insane. just insane. <laughs> it was, yeah. I think, uh, you know what? I'll be honest. I think that part of the reason for Loris Gurriel Jr.'s struggles uh, in the month of uh, April, I, he, he carried over his defensive struggles to the plate because we saw last year he, he he's a good hitter. He can get out there. He may not walk as much as people would like, but he can still make contact. He can hit a lot of home runs and in bunches, too. In those seven games that he was up there in the month of May, he hit four home runs and had a double. the first four runs. games back. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I think as we continue to go along uh, in this episode, but future episodes, I think he can very confidently say that in terms of the young core, Lourdes Gurriel Jr. is number four behind Vlad, behind Bowen, behind Kevin Biggio. And you know what? If you have four guys that you can pencil in for 2020, right off the bat, you know those four are going to be in your lineup. You just got to fill the rest of the five spots, and there are still other guys on this roster who we've yet to talk about that will be able to fill those five spots. So it, 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 that top four next year, potentially, with Lourdes Gurriel Jr. batting near the top of the order, can wreak havoc for opposing teams. It's going to be fun. Oh, Loris Gurriel Jr. was a pleasure to watch during that hitting streak that started off with those four home run games. And the fact that he carried that through the Bronx, that home run streak. Those first two, the last two home runs that win that were against the Yankees, if I'm correct. So I think you're right. Very, very <laughs> impressive to see. Yes, and mind you, that was when the Yankees pitching didn't look like uh, Swiss cheese. <laughs> so, That's yeah. right. <laughs> it is what it is, but then I have one last highlight, and this might be the best defensive play for the Toronto Blue Jays through the entirety of the 2019 campaign. The I can't even say Superman-like frickin' catch, but Jonathan Davis in Tampa, full extension is un- exaggerating how he caught this ball. <laughs> it looked, it, it honestly, when he caught that, when he was midair, it looked like he was lying straight out on his back, but just on, like on his front. Uh, like he was in bed just trying to get to sleep. It, uh, you know what, Jonathan Davis, um, very quickly with his speed and his ability to cover ground in the outfield led to an impressive three defensive runs saved in such small amount of playing time that he was amongst the top in leaderboard for defensive runs saved the year or this past season. So he, uh, he could have a spot on this team in 2020, but. Yeah, that was definitely maybe even the highlight of the year defensively for the Blue Jays. Yeah, if that doesn't make the Major League Baseball countdown this offseason the best defensive plays, I will be very, very upset. The fact that if, if you look at the Amazon webcast stuff on that, that's got to be like a 0% chance of catching that ball. <laughs> yeah, I want to go back damn and close find to it. that. <laughs> i got to go back and find that. We'll post it on Twitter a little bit later if one of us can dig it up. There you uh, go. I'll take responsibility for that tomorrow, but just <laughs> the catch percentage of what that was and how much ground he had to cover, it probably was one of the most uncatchable balls of the season across all the bigs, so that better be on some highlights. 
If not, it at least looked insanely good doing it because it didn't even look That's like right. you had a problem with it. It's like, oh, let me get that. Grab, gone, done. <laughs> <laughs> so put a bow on the month of May for us, Brendan Panikar. I think we know who the uh, best offensive performer was for the month of May, Craig. Do you have any guesses? Uh, is it a nerdier one again? <laughs> it was, no, not so nerdy. It's actually pretty obvious. It was a small sample size. So I, I will mention like... the guy right below him. But uh, it was Lurz Gurriel Jr. Uh, had the highest war uh, of the Blue Jays' offensive players, at 0.6 in those seven games with those four home runs, 393 batting average, and a 414 OBP. But I will mention the second guy who had a much larger sample size, and that was Justin Smoke. Smoke in 105 plate appearances, six home runs, 13 RBI. He only hit 207, but he got on base uh, at a clip of 371. So he was still being productive, even though he wasn't uh, hitting like Justin Smoke normally does. So on the offensive side, it was those two guys that really stole the show in May. On the pitching side of things, the biggest war total was Ken Giles at 0.6. He didn't give up a run at all in the month of May, but he only pitched eight and third innings. But that's also because of how bad that how bad that month was. There was, the no that he was those weren't even save opportunities, Brendan. So the fact no, that he didn't no. give any runs when he can't get fired up like that, that's pretty impressive to me. <laughs> he, did, he didn't walk a guy either, which is equally impressive. I know it's only eight and a third innings, but he did not walk a batter in that uh, in that stretch. So he, uh, I think a common theme will be is that Ken Giles will probably be near the top of every single month. Yep. So June, we're going to have a rather quick highlight recap here because there were no debuts, nothing crazy, just a few nice things that happened in a 10-17 and 17 month. And we're going to kick that off with the Blue Jays' continued dominance over the just ridiculously awful, bad Baltimore Orioles. They led the led the month off with a 17-hit game, which included two home runs from Cabin Biggio and three hit performances from Vladdy, Danny Jansen, and Loris Gurriel Jr. Brendan Panikar, could you squeeze much more offense into a baseball game? <laughs> no, I don't think so. And I like uh, that you brought up that fifth guy who we uh, I referenced to earlier. Those four guys we've already talked about, uh, Lourdes Gurriel Jr., Kevin Biggio, Bo Bichette, who we've actually yet to talk about but still, uh, Vladimir Guerrero Jr., and you mentioned Danny Jansen. Danny Jansen started to come around with the bat in the month of June after his extended struggles at the plate. He looked much better uh, offensively. But defensively for him, it was insane the entire season. We'll probably talk about that in a bit. But uh, those five guys for next year, those five spots that are now solidified for that season. But, uh, hey, man, I think if one thing you could take away from the month of June is that the Blue Jays were able to beat up on teams that they should be beating up on. And if you can do that as a team that wasn't very good yourself, you know going into next year you can beat up on them again, but now you can start competing with and beating consistently some of those teams that are better. So speaking of one of those teams that are better, another good point on Segway. <laughs> I should start cal- tallying. That's right, there's two. There's two. Okay. We had a five-home run performance against the Houston Astros. And just to put that into perspective, that was a game where Brad Peacock was actually on the mound who had a very nice season for the Houston Astros. Five home runs included Rowdy Telez, Loris Gurriel Jr., Freddie Galvis, and two from Teoscar Hernandez. 
Brennan, that's a pretty good, impressive performance for a very young team that's trying to find ways to be confident in a really rough season. It is. You know what? I think mentioning that they held their own for the most part against the Houston Astros kind of opens up the discussion that they held their own with other teams, too. They were quite pesky against the Houston Astros this entire season. They are also quite pesky against the likes of the Boston Red Sox and the New York Yankees. And it was so much so to the point where Yankees Twitter and Red Sox Twitter were starting to get put on notice. And if you're doing that already in the midst of a pretty bad season overall, you're onto something good. You're starting to put things together and you're putting yourselves on the map. So it was it was fun to see, especially doing that in Houston too, on the road. Kevin Biggio had a whole lot of fanfare there, especially because his dad went down and watched. And I don't know if you remember this or Blue Jays fans listening, John Gibbons paid the team a visit too when they were in Houston. Who was that? <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of things that I should have put down that set Twitterverse on fire. <laughs> the infamous... Uh, Charlie Montoyo, Gibby chats behind the dugout. <laughs> I wonder what they talked about. <laughs> Where can I get a beer after the game? <laughs> That's right. Are we meeting up for a beer after a game to talk about this team and how you can do better? <laughs> exactly. So, very good stuff there. But then the offense continued with a few key walk-offs in the month of June. And once again, against a team that really probably should have made the playoffs in the Los Angeles Angels, Billy McKinney walks them off, and then Danny Jansen had one against the Kansas City Royals. The fact that those are, like you said, one guy that probably is just on the outside of that core, looking in maybe at the moment, just because his offense wasn't as ridiculous as it probably could have been, and he's got somebody sneaking up and biting at his heels, and then somebody that clearly is probably on the outside of the conversation for the outfield. But having key contributors like Billy McKinney helped out with this season and trying to figure out what we could do, Brendan. And it's nice to know that both of them can perform in the clutch. It's going to be interesting to see what Billy McKinney's role is on this team next year because there's other outfielders added via trade like Derek Fisher, uh, T. Oscar Hernandez, Randall Gritchick, Jonathan Davis, Anthony Alford. There's a whole lot of guys who I would say have clearly surpassed Billy McKinney on the outfield totem pole. There's also others down in the minor leagues who are on their way up and will probably get a look <laughs> during spring training. I'm taking somebody along the lines of Forrest Wall or even Socrates Burrito, of God. all people, who was terrible. <laughs> I'm surprised we didn't talk about that for April, how bad he was. And that was the kind of the opposite of the anticipation of Vlad getting called up. It was when does Socrates Burrito finally go away. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying I, to keep this in positives. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's our one real negative, uh, other than how bad May and June were. But yeah, it's, uh, there's a lot of guys who have really surpassed Billy McKinney uh, on the outfield totem pole. But there were some spurts where Billy McKinney looked like he could still be a fourth guy. He could run with left field for an extended period of time if there's an injury. I just don't think there's room for him anymore. Uh, I don't know what the hell they're going to do with him, but that will be an interesting little talking point throughout the offseason because he was a key piece of the return for Jay Happ, as was Brandon Drury, uh, who had his own issues this season. But Brandon Drury, even Greg, became so versatile throughout the year he was in the outfield so you can yep. make a case that maybe even jury has surpassed Billy McKinney on that outfield slash uh versatile versatility kind of scale or whatever you want to call it so there'll be some some decisions need to be made so on the to wrap put the bow on that freaking uh thought there the fact that the Blue Jays proved that they are going to be always in the game 
even with moments with these kind of guys at the bat that aren't your normal everyday players, everybody is invested in the fact that we are going to play this to the last pitch of the last inning in extra innings, whatever it is. The fact that you're getting that kind of contribution, even in a ser- in a point where you were clearly below 500 after a 7-21 and month. <laughs> it was nice to see that this Blue Jays had, team had the tenacity to still try and grind out at-bats. I think that's the one thing people really gravitated to with this team that was completely different from 2017 and, and 2018 was no matter how far out of the game they were, they were able to come back, make it at least a talking point, and make people tune back into their TVs. Uh, when they gave up at certain points and started watching other things on TV, maybe even other baseball games, or watching the Buffalo Bisons to watch Bo Bichette in the month of June. Um, uh, so all that is, is, is extremely encouraging, that you got a team that just won't give up no matter what the situation is. It just uh, means next year, don't turn, don't turn away from this team because they could come back and surprise you. So wrap up June for me, my friend. <laughs> I think this will be a common theme for July, too. It may be. But Lourdes Gurriel Jr. was the best performer offensively in the month of June. Ten home runs, 20 RBIs, and 113 plate appearances. Insane. He hit 337. Crazy. That's ridiculous. It, and clearly, Crazy. that's one that point where he runs away with his left field job. And that's right. Not even, not even a question anymore. Not even a question. And you know what? There is some talks after that month that maybe Lourdes Gurriel Jr., should be the all-star representative for the Blue Jays uh, in Cleveland. He ultimately didn't end up being the all-star rep. They went to Marcus Stroman. But yeah, he was worth 1.3 wins, but right behind him was Eric Sogard with 1.2. He himself had himself another great month, which I think really solidified himself as a trade ship at the deadline, and it ultimately ended up happening. So those two kind of ran away with the month of June. Kevin Bijay was a little bit behind them in third place, but not close enough. And on the pitching side of things, there's three guys I'll mention, two guys tied for being the most valuable pitchers uh, in the month of June, and that was Marcus Stroman at 0.6, 4.04 ERA. So it was okay. It wasn't a terrible month at all for Stroman, but the guy who tied him was Daniel Hudson, Craig. Daniel Hudson had a 0.6 war. He did not – actually, he barely gave up a run. He only gave up – it doesn't actually – 0.82 ERA, so maybe one or two – runs in 11 innings. Daniel Hudson gave up, and that, kind of like with Eric Sogard, Speaking of trade chip. Exactly. That solidified Daniel Hudson's spot as a trade chip. But the third guy I'll quickly mention, and he just missed out in the month of May, too, was Trent Thornton. Trent Thornton had a 0.5 ERA, and, you know, or sorry, war, and a 4.78 ERA. Trent Thornton was really the one reliable guy throughout the rotation the entire season, and he definitely deserves some love. I'm glad you mentioned him because, unfortunately, I was diving for a Trent Thornton highlight, and other than the fact that he can rake at the plate, that was about the best <laughs> I could do. <laughs> That's right. May was quite kind to him at the plate, actually. <laughs> yeah, two hits and two at-bats, then a perfect thousand. Call that a win. <laughs> Call it a win. <laughs> All right. So July, a very, very, very monstrously busy month for the Toronto Blue Jays as far as headlines, concerns, all that kind of stuff due to the trade deadline, the All-Star game. Vladdy mania <laughs> and all sorts, but they kicked the month off, Brendan, by taking back-to-back comeback wins from the Boston Red Sox. That back to that note you were talking about a few moments ago about putting the league on notice. The Blue Jays were able to do that right off the bat to start July. Yeah, it was a great way to start off the month. I mean, there was something a little more exciting 
as the month went along and all, obviously all the trade chatter, but uh, some key guys who were trade chips uh, going into the deadline really contributed to that. Freddie Galvis had himself a nice start to July. And guys on the pitching side of things, like Daniel Hudson, continued his nice months of June and brought that into July. So there was a lot of good things. And you know, one good thing that kind of emerged from there for a little while was Sean Reed Foley. Uh, got himself a start at the end of June and carried that into a nice start in relief uh, when they used an opener against the Red Sox. I think I was at that game. Uh, and Sean Reed Foley looked uh, quite comfortable against the Boston Red Sox in one of those wins. But, uh, yeah, they uh, they played the Red Sox tough off-season long. So it was a, a nice way to see them start the month of July after pretty much wiping the floor with Kansas City uh, and then starting off pretty well against the Red Sox. Yeah, so speaking of wiping the floor, all of a sudden Teoscar Hernandez walks off the Tampa Bay Rays, who we were able to play pretty well this year, except in the trot. <laughs> oh, what a surprise. <laughs> but at home, things are okay. <laughs> so Teoscar Hernandez gets a walk-off winning home run against the Rays, and it was a pretty nice shot to center field, Brendan. Well, Teoscar was, uh, was very good in the month of July, and you know what, I think it kind of summarized as you look at uh, the Oscar split through each month. Just He's just so hot and cold. I don't think I've seen a guy in quite a while that can just look like he's 1,000% belongs full-time in the long-term feature of this team. And then sometimes he just looks atrocious at the point. He was one of their best hitters in the month of July with eight home runs throughout that entire month. Mm-hmm. The is a question, it's a question mark going into 2020 is what is going to happen with T. Oscar. I believe, and correct me if I misquoted a guest that we had on September, Hayden Godfrey says he wouldn't be surprised if T. Oscar may not even come back to start this year, or to start 2020, because there are a lot of question marks. If he doesn't go out there and steal a job in spring training or just put himself on the map, there's going to be some tough calls to be made, and T. Oscar could be one of those. Yeah, and which is sad because he has so much power at the plate. And when he does go on those tears, Brendan, it is pretty impressive to watch. One of those awesome call-ups, and well, I'll say send back and recall <laughs> to Buffalo this year on the short bus ride. <laughs> Something special going on in Buffalo as far as that rejuvenation process. But that's for a whole other show. We can spend that on the whole Buffalo Bisons episode of our off-season recaps. But how much fun and this is probably the single most easy highlight for every Blue Jays fan this year to be happy about. Vladdy Mania goes to Cleveland, and <laughs> it's one of the most yeah. epic things ever recorded in a home run derby. 91 home runs throughout all of this evening, Brendan. Insane, and it, it was the most ridiculous thing to watch. You go back and look at some of the reactions to Vlad Jr. getting announced as a home run derby contestant. There's one guy in particular that I may even decide to get as ballsy and tag him in this episode once it goes live. (laughs) But a Yankees fan who's somehow verified on Twitter, because I think he's broken some news in the past. If you go look up at Max Wildstein, you may have seen this trick. But for those who did, you'll know what I'm talking about. When the roster and field of home run derby contestants got announced, People saw it. Vlad only had eight home runs. What the hell is he doing in the home run derby? Well, everybody shut the fuck up right after that because it was... Uh, <laughs> Tell me how you really feel about it. <laughs> right? It was a spectacle, and it was so awesome being able to go back and dig up all of those old tweets of people being like, what the hell is he doing here? And tag at old tags, or old takes exposed on Twitter 
to really call them out. He's here to bit. steal the goddamn show, people, is what he's here right? to do. <laughs> it's crazy. He had 91 home runs, and he didn't even win the Derby. Honestly, we all know Vlad Jr. won the Derby because there was more people talking about him than there was Pete Alonso at the end of that, the eventual winner mm-hmm. of the Derby. So if you can do that, not even win, but still be the talking point for the rest of uh, All-Star festivities, you did something right. And that really put Vlad Jr. on note, notice again across the entire baseball world. And the fact that the only one, only way you were able to beat Vladdy Jr. in the first round was the fact that you had to tie a current <laughs> Major League home run derby record. 29 long balls in the first round. First round. First round. <laughs> Insane amount of home runs. Jock Peterson had to come back and do that all over again <laughs> and just even stay in the game against Vlad Jr. So, insane, yeah. ridiculous fun. And that might have been one of the best baseball moments in this season period as him and Jock Peterson went toe-to-toe in a double tiebreaker swing-off, everybody. And that was the first swing-off in all the new format of the Major League Baseball Home Run Derby. How, how, how well did Major League Baseball nail this new format? For a little while there, people were getting bored of the Home Run Derby because you would have 10 outs, it would go on forever, rounds would go on forever, but now with the timed format, you can hit as many home runs as you want in four minutes, and you get one timeout. You buy yourself 30 seconds if you hit two balls over 440 feet, maybe 450, I think it's 440. But anyways, if you do that, you get a bonus 30 seconds. It's exciting. Everybody loves watching the Home Run Derby again. You know what? It's kind of like NBA All-Star Weekend when you get to watch the Slam Dunk Contest. That's what people really want to see during the all-star weekends of baseball and basketball is the slam dunk contest and the home run derby because it's just such a spectacle watching these freak athletes go out there and perform at their highest level and it was an insane level to the point where he hits a 488 foot home run for this best thing and i think the best thing about that whole day as our topic of what set the twitterverse on fire here is just a microcosm of the vladdy jr home run derby situation the Texas Rangers Twitter tweeted out right before the home run derby, the Josh Hamilton home run derby epic in Yankee Stadium. It said, good luck beating this, folks. Yeah, they, uh, <laughs> they crushed that by a mile. <laughs> Slight curveball. Yeah, a slight curveball. That, uh, that backfired on the Texas Rangers, that social media guy or girl. So, Anywho, that puts the bow on that whole conversation there for – that and we're gonna get into the trade deadline where obviously this was just insane what was going on on Twitter during the Marcus Stroman stuff. The fact that Bo Bichette apparently was somehow on the move, but there was really no news around the on the move thing. Marcus Stroman was going to the Yankees, going to the Mets, going here, going there, and then not the fact that we traded him early was the quote unquote no trade value there conversation that ensued over Twitter Brendan honestly in hindsight I think this played out perfectly for the Toronto Blue Jays with what we got for Marcus Stroman the Mets did not get their playoff hopes met like they were hoping to get out of trade for Marcus Stroman sum up the Blue Jays trade Ted Dine and the Twitter fallout my friend for me I think Blue Jays fans can be extremely happy now when you go back and look at some of the New York based beat reporters that were writing as soon as the Mets got eliminated from playoff contention in the last week of September, that they may end up regretting that trade of Anthony Kay and Simeon Woods Richardson. They didn't make the playoffs. They will have Stroman for one more year. They get another kick at the can. 
but Mets fans were going livid as the season went down. And you know what? Marcus Stroman was not very good for the New York Mets. So they got the highest possible value, you could say, because you try trading Marcus Stroman, if you kept him and he ended up not finishing the year very well, you weren't getting Simeon Woodrichardson and Anthony Kay. But no, you can also take... No, definitely not this offseason at all. And especially if the Mets ended up not making the playoffs, if they had not made that trade for Stroman, there's no way that they would give up Anthony Kay now, especially when you see what he did when he got to the big league level this year, uh, in August and in September. So... I think they made up like bandits in that trade because you can add Simeon Woodrichardson to the list of extremely high ceiling pitchers that they have in the lower minors, like an Adam Klopfenstein or an Alex Manoa, Nate Pearson, probably a little bit below a Nate Pearson level. I don't think anybody matches Nate Pearson, but when you go and look at that collective group of arms that was in Vancouver, Simeon Woodrichardson is right there. And the fact that Anthony Kay has already pitched in the big league level, and honestly, Based on our chat by, with Bobby K, our last episode that we recorded, Best I throw in now trade part ever. That's right. It was. <laughs> it really was. Bobby K was the ultimate <laughs> trade in part of that. That we have him as a Blue Jays fan now. But he correctly pointed out, Craig, that he is really the only lefty uh, option that they have for the rotation going into 2020. So that's going to give him a boost. I would not be surprised if he starts the season and the rotation, assuming he has a very good spring training. And that's assuming that Ryan Barucki needs that little bit extra to get back on path for what he was at the end of 2018. Right? That's right. That's right. So. You know, I think also um, that was the big trade that they really made. I think the one that is really under the radar that people should start paying attention to was getting Thomas Hatch from the Chicago Cubs for David Phelps. They are somehow able to extract a month and a half of David Phelps and turn it into a trade for Thomas Hatch. When Hatch got to the Blue Jays' minor league system, they he recently, towards the end of his Cubs tenure, discovered, I believe it was a cutter. And when he got here, he was wiped out down double A. So keep your eye out on Thomas Hatch news as the offseason goes along and maybe even throughout spring training because he could end up being a very nice piece that for this well, team. That along with the pieces that we eventually got for Eric Sogard, Daniel Hudson, and company. The fact that the Blue Jays put the nice put a nice little trade deadline together, regardless of what was at the time perceived as not real ballsy, and the fact that there was the Ken Giles fallout. So there was that whole situation, and I think that's where they were hoping to be putting all their eggs into that basket. If they were going to be able to trade Ken Giles and get the most for the trade deadline from Ken Giles. Personally, unlike you, I'm very happy that he's going to stay at Toronto Blue Jays. It's nice to have that veteran presence in a very, very young bullpen. <laughs> so, it is what it is. But, post-trade deadline fallout, Brendan, Bo Bichette has probably the best Major League debut of got any rookie that I can remember in any time. Just to put that in perspective, his eventual, you know, after, well, I'm not going to go into that part because that's more of the next month highlight, but the fact that his <laughs> first home, well, first series is in Kansas City, his whole family's there, has a hit in his first major league at bat, and it hits his first home run in that same series, along with starting with a three-game hitting streak in Kansas City. What the heck, man? <laughs> Did we know it was going to go this good? No, definitely not. I think, yeah. Uh... The one thing that I was saying uh, quite a bit when we were recording uh, right after they called him up and even a little bit before was every single level 
Bo Bichette got to as he graduated from single A to double A, double A to triple A, was that he had a little bit of extended struggles as he was adjusting. I didn't think he would hit the ground running like he did and finish the season like he did. He was unbelievable. And you know what? I think that's what everybody thought Vlad Jr. was going to do when he got here. So, you know what? We could we could transfer that excitement that we had for Vlad Jr. hitting the ground running and put it right onto Bo Bichette because, man, it was so fun to watch. And he got his own T-shirt made after him by Barstool Sports from the Section 10 podcast by Jared Carabas. You know you're doing something right when you get yourself a T-shirt within a few weeks of being called up to the bigs. <laughs> so, and then to put the icing on the cake for that debut in Kansas City, the fact that Vladdy hits a grand slam, and you get this full tandem look here of what the Blue Jays' future looks, the, ba- the Vlad, Bobish and Biggio show. Oh, there's just stuff a legendary that weekend as far as seeing the whole collective group perform and give you that glimpse of the future just insanely awesome way to end the month of July. Oh, without a doubt. And you know what? As well, uh, Danny Jansen had himself a, a very nice month of uh, of July as well. Right. He was their second most productive hitter <laughs> in the month of July. So the fact that he was coming around offensively as the season went along to go along with his stellar defense that he had for the entire season, there's, uh, you know what, even though it ended up being at the end of the year, I'm sure we'll get into this, that Going into next season, there's a very real chance that Reese McGuire and Danny Jansen split time 50-50, which I'm not opposed to. I think Reese McGuire definitely has a spot on this team moving forward. They definitely complement each other very nicely, too. They do. They absolutely do. But they're your fifth guys that you can put into those four guys right there with Lourdes Gurriel Jr., with Vladimir Guerrero Jr., Bo Bichette, um, and, uh, and I'm blanking. Uh, why am I forgetting? Oh, Kevin Beasley. Of course. Of course. <laughs> Uh, there's five guys, so you just got to figure out four more going into next year, and there's still some answers uh, around the diamond uh, as you go through and look. So there's, yeah, there's five no guys. bad spots, other than no. we need some veteran pitching in their staff. But like I said, that's more for another show, my friend. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> so who is the MVPs of the month of July? Teoscar Hernandez uh, was with 0.8 war, uh, according to Fangraphs, eight home runs, 15 RBI. 284, 346 OBP, and a 158 way to runs graded plus. As I mentioned, Danny Jansen was the second most productive offensive player at 0.6. He hit 240, 296 OBP, four homers, and 12 RBI. So he wasn't too far off in the power department. On the pitching side of things, you had Marcus Stroman, who had a 0.9 bore and in 20 innings had an ERA of 1.80. So there is the ultimate icing on the cake for him getting traded. But I will mention, and we didn't talk on this trade because I think we can save this. This might be a whole off-season discussion, is the Aaron Sanchez trade. Aaron Sanchez was right behind Marcus Stroman with 0.8 F4, despite a 5.26 ERA. That trade we will definitely dissect in detail as the off-season goes along. Yeah, that's the whole pitching review show right there. There you go, exactly. (laughs) Or at least a good chunk of it. So, August, man. August. Yeah. <laughs> so the Blue Jays played very well at 12 and 15, but this was the coming of age month, I'm going to say, for the Toronto Blue Jays, as there really was not a ton to talk about outside of what became Bono's hitting. <laughs> yep. That, uh, that's one way of putting it. August was really the month of uh, Boba Shet. And uh, you look at his numbers for the month of August, and it's true. But the other thing is true that Vladimir Guerrero Jr. was actually right behind him 
offensively as well, not too far off from Bo Bichette. So in a very say, good month, and I did believe that Vlad actually got his second Player of the Week award during that, or he was damn near close to it. I believe you're correct. I think he may have, but he was right behind there. So you could say, though Bo Bichette stole all the headlines, it was the Bo and Vlad month where you can really, really dream on what this team can do offensively next year. Honestly, off from an offensive standpoint, for all the qualified hitters, there was everybody was hitting in the month of August. It was uh, it was really fun to watch, and people were dreaming on what 2020 could be with a little bit of pitching. Very offensive month where the pitching, eh. <laughs> not so much, <laughs> not so much, but the month of Jul- month month of August was one of the Blue Jays' better months as far as runs and runs runs scored and runs allowed. They were pretty much dead nuts even. One twenty six runs scored, one twenty seven runs allowed. Hence why I kind of said the coming of age story. You saw some of the pitching coming up. Not really solidifying, but we were eating more innings out of the starting pitchers with some of these young guys coming into the fold a little bit. But the fact that Boba Shett literally is breaking major league records already, and at that point he was only, what, 30 games into the season, is now officially the major league record holder for most extra base hits in a debut. He had 10 extra base hits in his first nine games, Brendan. That is just, we were, that's dreamable stuff. <laughs> it was. I think we were all starting to ask ourselves, when is this kid going to slow down? Is he ever going to slow down? He sure as hell didn't do in his first 11 where he continued to have 20 hits in his first 11 games. <laughs> right? Like, he was, uh, he was the talking point of all of baseball for that stretch when he first got called up. It was, uh, it, it was bloody mania all over again, but, uh, a uh, low mania or whatever the hell you want to call it. Uh, that's Flow exactly motion. what it was. Yeah, there you go. There's a, there's a good name for it. So it uh, it was really the month of Bo and the month of Vlad, but uh, he was uh, unbelievable. So I think it sums it up perfectly, too, for the whole month of August. The Boba Shett versus Clayton Kershaw first battle, right? That's right. Young and immature hitter comes up, knocks a ridiculous home run in his first at bat off of probably one of the best pitchers of the recent baseball history. Second at bat shows exactly how young our team is as he drops a 60-mile-an-hour hook to strike out Boba Shett in his next at bat. (laughs) And then he got him back in the next at bat. (laughs) He did. (laughs) So, But like I said, I think that just – summarizes how this team is coming forward. We're extremely talented, but there is still plenty to learn. And I think that's what we saw during the month of August. Well, I think for August, people can go back and look at that Dodgers series, kind of look like how you looked at any Red Sox or Yankees series. They played the Dodgers, aside from that <laughs> blowout game when Bo hit two home runs. They played the Dodgers extremely tight the entire time. They probably should have won the series. And that's a team that is now up 2 nothing on the Washington Nationals in Game 5 of their DS series. So they're uh, one step away from going to the NLCS, and they played them extremely well for three games uh, at Chavez Ravine. So they were putting the National League on notice for a little while there, too, and making Dodgers fans be like, holy crap, these kids are good. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with young swagger and being that brash enough to maybe just take a, take a veteran team like the Dodgers on by storm, and that was great to watch, and that was a fun series. I stayed up way too late all those games, <laughs> and it was very <laughs> enjoyable. So, what do we got for the month of uh, August, man? I think you know the answer to that, sir. 
Do it was I? both. Is it epic hair? <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. The buffalo that you've been growing out that I saw just a few weeks ago. <laughs> there you go. Those, yeah, those pictures right. are on Twitter, people. <laughs> that's right. We did post uh, post the ones from the flight deck there. Uh, 1.1 F4 in the month of August. 126 player appearances, 7 home runs, 13 IBRI, 325 batting average, 357 OBP, and a 153 weighted runs created plus. But I did mention, Craig, Vlad was right behind him. Vlad actually surpassed Bo in the weighted runs created play, uh, plus department of 159. I think the defense really costed Vlad uh, with a 0.8 F4. But offensively, yeah. those two led the way. And it's it amazing fun. that anybody even outperformed Bo Bichette in the American League during the month of August. <laughs> I know. Uh, he could have won the uh, American League Player of the Month uh, for August he very well uh, with how good he was. <laughs> so how about on the yep. side? Because that was the first month we did not have Marcus Stroman to be able to available for this award. Yeah, the uh, post-trade deadline, if there were two of the starters were gone, a few people were injured, it was a clusterfuck of uh, trotting people out there uh, and doing openers every few days. So sticking on the theme of openers, it was Wilmer Font, who was the most valuable pitcher for the Blue Jays in the month of August. 0.7 F1, 1.76 ERA, and 15 in the third innings with 14.09 K per nine. He had himself a great month. Craig, I will give you a guess as to who the second most valuable pitcher was on that team. In the month of August. I don't even know if I want to take a stab at that one guy. <laughs> <laughs> if you give up, I'll reveal the answer. Go for take, it. Take a stab at it. Uh, the only thing I can think of is Ken Giles started kind of coming back, but he didn't pitch enough innings. So I'm no, thinking Trent didn't. Thornton? No. Trent Thornton was dip. It was Jacob Wagus back. Uh, okay, that 20. makes plenty of sense. Yeah, the, 25 innings. I can see why he, I forgot about it. I know, right? Because he was so meh to poor in the months of September. But you know what? Vegas Pack himself, we talked about him a lot as the season ran down because he was impressive in August. He kind of made you think, what the hell is this guy? He doesn't throw overly hard. He's really tall, but he just gets you out. He's kind of crappy. He did 0.4 F war, 2.88 ERA in 25 innings, and he looked damn good. And you know what? I don't know if he'll end up winning a job in the rotation. I think he's ultimately destined to be Buffalo Bison's opening day starter for 2020, but you never know. If he goes and has a good spring, I could see Vegas Pack being the five guy out of spring training because of how well he pitched in August. But, uh, yeah, he was second behind Wilmer Font. It's nice to see somebody like him step out, and the fact that Wilmer Font did perform as well as he did, he probably is now a part of this bullpen going forward, period. Very nice little pickup. Sneaky move by the Toronto Blue Jays to grab Wilmer Font. So, I guess we're going to dive into the month of September, man. And unfortunately, this literally started out the worst way I possibly could do it. But I don't know how I cannot <laughs> say this is a Toronto Blue Jays highlight. But Justin Verlander is kryptonite, apparently, in Toronto, in the Rogers Center, against the Toronto Blue Jays. Yeah, no hitter. Hits <laughs> <laughs> denied. Yeah, I was, I was at his first one when he was uh, a Detroit Tiger back in 2011. And... Uh, you know what? I think this start was uh, pretty pretty similar to how he does it uh, or how he did it back in 2011. Maybe not as hard on the miles per hour side of things, but man, that was uh, it was fun to watch. I'll admit it. Credit where credits due. So, 
Coming after that, though, we have some epic kind of comebacks for the Toronto Blue Jays to put a, you know, kind of like I said, make us stand out a little bit here in the what ended up being a 12 and 13 September. So just below 500 again for another month, which we'll do in our wrap up here. But Bo Bichette walks off the New York Yankees. That doesn't spell hurry up and notice me. <laughs> oh, it does. Yeah. Can you talk about me a little bit more Yankees Twitter and baseball? Yeah, no, <laughs> That's right. basically, basically what that said. It, uh, that was really the point where I noticed Yankees fans talking about the Blue Jays. I mean, they kind of did throughout the, throughout the season when they played each other. But this series in particular got people saying, holy crap, they could be really good uh, as soon as next year. Even in 2021, they could be legitimate in 2021. So that was the coming out party, I would say the point where you're putting the baseball world on notice that yeah blue jays aren't to be taken too lightly heading into 2020 for a team offensively that could look eerily similar to what it does right now come opening day 2020 so i think the biggest thing from that walk-off home run with boba shet and that weekend in general against the yankees was the fact that i'm watching it here in the states on the yankees channel and the fact that the Yankees announcers are sitting there going, oh, shit. <laughs> Mind you, one of those announcers, the, Michael Kay was not on there, the normal everyday Yankees announcer. So David Cohn, and I forget who the second one was. Yeah, I'm not sure who that is. But David Cohn, former Blue Jay. Mind you, I've been watching the Yankees channel because I live here in Rochester, New York, all the damn time because I have to. <laughs> outside of the Major League Baseball Network and watching the Blue Jays on MLB.tv. So the fact that I live in Yankee country, I have never heard David Cohn talk anything good about the Toronto Blue Jays basically since he became announcer. Not that he's being mean or purposely slamming the Toronto Blue Jays, but the fact that he was openly complimenting the Toronto Blue Jays offense and that this is something brewing in the tank that is going to be very scary for American League pitching in the very near future. The fact that he's trying to even figure out how you dissect the, you know, like we've been talking about, four-headed, five-headed attack here that the Blue Jays have between Biggio, Bichette, Vladdy, and Griel Jr. and company. He's trying to figure out how to attack that lineup. And I have not heard somebody like David Cohn, who is one of the better pitchers in his time, try to dissect the lineup like that talking against Blue Jays baseball because I, every time I watch the Blue Jays against the Yankees I have to watch it on the Yes Network. <laughs> that's, uh, that's fascinating you say that because remember 2015 <laughs> and how good that lineup was? He didn't was. even talk about it. I'm not even kidding. It was like the, this is happening but we're not paying attention to it. Yeah. You know what? Let's give the Blue Jays their due. They haven't won the division since 93. They haven't made the playoffs since then. Let's just leave them alone. I will give them the point that at least in 2015 was the core formation of what is the current New York Yankees lineup. So there was plenty of exciting things going on at that time for the New York Yankees with Sanchez, Judge, and everybody coming up. So they were talking about that the whole broadcast versus the fact that we are stealing a playoff spot. And we're not even just stealing a playoff spot. We're taking your fucking division. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I missed 2015. Yeah, right. <laughs> but, yeah, I think uh, you summed that up perfectly. I remember actually you bringing that up on uh, one of our September shows uh, after we played the Yankees, that David Cohn was overly complimentary of the Blue Jays. And you know what? I think that's a, that's a good thing. And you, if you have the opportunity to tell any player that, I think they'd be like, holy crap. It must have really impressed them. And it 
because there, but they felt there was a lot of guys in the month of September who had good months, especially in the power department. So they really started putting people on notice. Yep. So continuing the end of the month here for the Toronto Blue Jays is a summer summarization of the youth movement, and Randall Grichuk had a insanely good month, and which included a you know ninth inning grand slam <laughs> against the Baltimore Orioles to really solidify a road victory against the you know Baltimore Orioles <laughs> but the fact that you saw Grichel, Randall Grichik finish this season really strong which was more or less this was kind of his team for the taking and you never really saw him run away with that this season Brendan it was very good to see him finish this season strong yeah it was Randall Grichik uh, is kind of I think in the same mold as the T. Oscar Hernandez where you know there's talent there especially in the power department. They can play decent defense. Well, actually, Randall Grichuk can play really good defense. Very good defense. More, <laughs> yeah, more so the Oscar Hernandez playing decent defense at times. Kevin Pillar so, plus pop. <laughs> exactly, exactly. A much more powerful version of Kevin Pillar. But you just still don't know what you're going to get year in and year out with Randall Grichuk. But I think we can add him as number six for next season uh, in the lineup because he he signed that contract extension for five years, $55 million or however much it was. If he can do so what he, he did during this series, man, he is completely going to be fine in that spot. Exactly. And you know what? He really, uh, I think, made people forget about Kevin Plark quite quickly and is becoming a little bit of a fan favorite. Now, there are some on Twitter that obviously there's a lot of Randall Grichik's game that needs work, but he had eight home runs, 20 RBIs in that month, uh, and a 101 way to run created plus. So he's a little bit above average in that department, but still... If he can put it together, we said the same thing last year when he finished the season extremely hot. If Grichik can just continue to do that and be more consistent, then there you go. You have left field and right field solidified for 2020. And, and you got boom goes the dynamite. <laughs> exactly. A lot of power. And you can insert him in the sixth or seventh spot of your lineup next year. It's going to be interesting to see how Grichik starts next year. I even said, you know what, I wouldn't. Not maybe not this offseason, maybe next trade deadline if he's doing well. Maybe he's a trade ship because of how much control and how cheap he is. But regardless, he'll be here next year. He's probably the number six guy on top of those spots that we mentioned. That and probably uh, bat number six. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He's probably, he's probably going to bat six, maybe five, maybe even seven, yeah. uh, depending on That's a hell of a lineup, so. though, if you're talking about having somebody like him with that much pop in that spot in the lineup. Speaking of pop, though, Kevin Biggio, at cycle man. I, I don't yeah. know another better way of doing it. I'm going cycling. And the fact that he is now the only major leaguer to do this with his father in all Major League Baseball history, very, very cool stuff. And the fact that he crushes the Baltimore Orioles and continues to do that kind of thing, this shows and gets us even more on the hype train for Kevin Biggio. That's right. I think that was probably the, uh, the last major highlight uh, of 2019. And it was a perfect way because, you know, uh, I'll be saying in a minute, Kevin Biggio ran away offensively uh, with the offensive MVP. Uh, and that was really his month to shine. He walked 16.2% of the time. That's very impressive. 424 OBP. So he was doing what we said earlier. He can, he may strike out a lot, but he still has a very good eye. He can get on base when he's not hitting very well. And he's got power in that bat. So Biggio is really that number three guy as the core three guys that we've talked about already. So it was his month. September was the month of Kevin Biggio. Just like August was Vladdy, April was Vladdy, and August was Bo, and July was Bo. So it's it's great. The blue jeans are going strong, but I actually do have one more highlight for you. Yeah, okay, there you go. Bring so, it up. 
Anthony Alford walk off. How yeah. long have we been waiting to say that? Yeah, it said that said Twitter but That was probably the last time Twitter truly blew up in flames. Was Anthony Alford because he was so weird, man. I don't know why he barely played in the month of September. It leads you to think that maybe they're starting to give up on him as a guy. That would be a big mistake in my mind if you give up on Anthony Alford that quickly. It's too he hasn't had a proper time. So much talent. So it was his moment. That was his moment. That was really what made him say, hey, play this guy some more, please. And the next day he was in the line to start. Yeah. So, For the love I, of God. <laughs> I know. Just play the on. So uh, it, it was great. It brought a smile to everybody's faces. So, with that being said, Brendan, let's wrap this thing up. Last MVPs of the month of September. Already gave away the offensive side of things. It was oh, did you? Uh, yeah. <laughs> that was his month. <laughs> 1.2 F4, and that doubled the next closest in Reese McGuire and Teoscar Hernandez at 0.6. Reese McGuire, I will mention, was up there in August as well. He finished the season really strong which is why people are talking about 50-50 next year between him and Danny Jansen. We'll get into that in depth as the offseason goes along. Mm -hmm. But on the pitching side of things, Craig, we finally had the month where Trent Thornton was the most valuable pitcher at 0.6 F4 and a 2.19 ERA. Very, you know very what strong finish. And that's I think that goes to say a lot about what you're getting for Trent Thornton going because there was plenty of good things he learned at the end of the season. And, yeah, exactly where I was going with that. Clay Buckholz taught him the grip of his off-speed stuff, his break, or his curveball, I believe, more specifically. The day or two after he learned that grip is when he went out there and mowed down the Boston Red Sox after coming in from the opener, Wilmer Font. And he cruised through five innings. And that was really the probably one of the biggest highlights for Trent Thornton on the season was how effectively and quickly he dismissed of the Boston Red Sox. He had an absolutely phenomenal month. I will also give props to Anthony Kay, who is right behind him with a 0.4 F4 despite an inflated 5.79 ERA. There was some batted ball unluck for Anthony Kay. During that, that one game. star. <laughs> exactly. We, just, we dissected that with Bobby Kay already, but uh, mm -hmm. we know what, people know what we're talking about. So shout to Anthony Kay and Trent Thornton for finishing the season strong. Very, very good stuff. And the fact that we actually finally saw some amassing in that possible 2020 rotation was very very intriguing at the end of the season so brendan as a wrap of another show i apologize folks that this went a little long but there was just so much twitter fun to talk about this season rather than the abysmal awful that is the unmentionable season of 2018 brendan <laughs> <laughs> um anything you would like to add last minute here so the only thing we talked about before the show is the fact that the blue jays if you look at this season in a massive general the month of May and the month of June subtracted. This team is actually only four or five games below 500. Yeah, there's something that you can hope and dream on for next season. That Yeah, I think it's a legitimate expectation you can have that they will be right around 500 next year. If you have them pitching this offseason, which we'll get into, you never know. You never know. They could contend. There is uh, some open spots for the wild card next year. You don't know what Oakland's going to do. Will Tampa Bay continue this string of success? Probably. Boston Red Sox could get worse. There's a whole discussion to be had surrounding what they're going to do with Mookie Betts. Uh, Minnesota Twins, uh, all those teams, there's a few that could take steps back. Blue Jays are primed to take a step forward. But I will leave you with one more thing, and we can table this for next week. So I don't know if you've seen this yet on Twitter, Craig, but 
There's a guy named Jonah on Twitter at YYZ Sports Media. He somehow has incredible sources at Sportsnet and Rogers, uh, especially when it comes to radio programs. He's called 100% before they've happened. Bob McCowan's retirement from primetime sports or just being let go. He's called all the radio changes, said Jeff Blair will be taking his place. Any radio changes that have been made this summer by 590, he's gotten right. And he tweeted today, there is some question around Mark Shapiro's future. And he said, based on what he's heard in terms of rumors surrounding Mark Shapiro, he has two theories. It's either one that Mark Shapiro wants out from his job because the gig wasn't what he thought it was and he wants to get in a bigger role, maybe one with the MLB. Or that Rogers is not enamored with his performance and will make a move to get rid of Mark Shapiro. Is this something? Maybe this guy has an impeccable, 100% correct track record of changes that have happened at Rogers, especially when it comes to the media side of things. I don't think people should dismiss this as a talking point when it comes to the Blue Jays side of things with how connected this guy is. So let's table that for next week. Well, we got on. You just teased our whole episode for next week. <laughs> yeah, and you know what? They'll probably to Shapiro be or not to Shapiro. <laughs> that's right. That's the episode for next week. There's the title. But there you go. That's uh, we'll leave that on a cliffhanger. We'll table that. We'll let you dissect that little bit of information if you haven't seen it yet, and we'll get into that in much more detail. I'm assuming there will be some more details and follow up based on this guy because he is super well connected. Good deal, guys. So, Brennan. Awesome show. Very happy we got to do this again, and I'm glad we're back together, and we're going to be back bringing you Blue Jays something every week for what's going on. We'll probably be talking a little bit of general playoffs here in the next couple weeks as the you know playoff picture continues to unfold. But as usual, guys, let's go Blue Jays, right, Brendan? Let's go Blue Jays. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early, so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.